the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for being with me today on Sunday. And I hope that your last week went well and that you are anticipating a good one this week. I know that things are really pretty rough right now and they don't seem to want to get any better, unfortunately. However, I thought about this, I've prayed about this, and I think I have maybe just some things that might work today that might help us just in in this season that we're in and how it how it seems to be playing itself out. And so I want to read you this this uh, devotion and it's from a book that I've been reading maybe for 15 years every day and it's called Streams in the Desert and the verse that they are using today is 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 2. This is what the gentleman says about this particular verse. He says, Oh, how old the, how the old harpist loves his harp. He cuddles and caresses it as if it were a child resting on his lap. His life is consumed with it. But watch how he tunes it. He grasps it firmly, striking a chord with a sharp, quick blow. And while it quivers as if in pain, he leans forward intently listening to catch the first note rising from it. Just as he feared, the note is distorted and shrill. He strains the string, turning the torturing thumbscrew, and though it seems ready to snap with tension, he strikes it again. Then he leans forward again, carefully listening, until at the last, at finally, a smile appears on his face as the first melodic sound arises. So perhaps this is how God is dealing with you. 
Loving you more than any harpist loves his harp. He finds you nothing but harsh discordant in your sounds. He plucks your heartstrings with torturing anguish. Tenderly leaning over you, he strikes the strings and listens. Hearing only a harsh murmur, he strikes you again. His heart bleeds for you while he's anxiously waiting to hear the strain. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's Luke twenty-two forty-two. Not my will, but yours be done. A melody as sweet to his ears as angel songs, and he will never cease from striking the strings of your heart until you're humbled and disciplined and your soul blends with all the pure and eternal harmonies of his own being. I thought that was so just apropos for what we're going through right now. I didn't necessarily enjoy reading it, you know, anxiously waiting for me through my strain and and pain and hardship and frustration to be able to say to God, not my will, but yours be done. However, I think it is really appropriate, and I, it was helpful. It, it kind of grounded me, which was, I think, maybe really important. And so it caused me this morning to think about, maybe we can talk a little bit about suffering. Now, if you're a longtime listener to my show, you've heard me talk about this before. I just thought it would be really helpful. And as I read through it, it really helped me again to recenter myself and to recognize what, what we're really doing down here. You know, this is not our, our resting place. This is not our home. This is not a vacation for us. This is how we get to spend eternity with God. This is how we get to heaven. We have to be born onto this planet to be able to grow up enough to choose God or not. That's how we get home. So I came across this um, quote from Billy Graham. And this, again, was very appropriate and kind of dismaying. This is what he says. Comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. I'm like, okay, Lord, you're killing me this morning. (laughs) This is not feeling hopeful to me. But when I thought about it, I thought, you know, that's exactly right. This this world is, is inside out, upside down, and backwards. It is not the way God originally planned for it to be. But it is now immersed in sin. And so what God does is he causes a really bad thing to work together for our good. So he knows that adversity is going to be at play in our everyday life. But he also knows how to make it a good thing. See, when I really learned that verse, that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose and love him, I realized that it didn't mean that he intentionally brought bad things in order to make it good. There's enough bad things down here. He doesn't have to create more. What he's saying is, in this world, you will have hardship. Fear not, I've overcome the world. So he's saying, I know it's really, really hard down there. In fact, it killed him, right? So he really understands how hard this place can be, how hard our individual lives can be, how hard it can be when we ache over the life of someone that we love and we see them suffering, either unnecessarily or, or because of life circumstances. So God is saying that in this world you will have trouble. 
So suffering or pain in, in a broad sense, you know, it may be an experience of unpleasantness, of an aversion, you know, associated with the perception of harm or a threat of harm in an individual. But suffering is really the basic element that makes up the negative valence of the, our emotional phenomena. So it's the, uh, the opposite of suffering, obviously, is pleasure and happiness, you know, and so we have hurt, we have ache, we have this being wounded, and we have to endure agony. It's being wretched, it's feeling wretched. We go through a lot, we end up going through the mill. So we experience hardship, and we end up being racked with pain. Now, the first time I went to Africa, <clears throat> excuse me, to Uganda, I, I uh, one of the messages I wrote came from the book of Job. And these people have tremendous amounts of suffering that we will never even have to come close to enduring. And yet they press on and their faith increases. And so when we look at Job, it really truly is a book on suffering. See, we all suffer. We're all suffering in some way. And this is why the story of Job in the Bible is so relevant to us, especially now. And, and I'm, I'm afraid our, our suffering is not going to lessen. This is why it's so imperative that we recognize what God is doing. So let me tell you what happened to our brother Job, because he suffered in every single way possible. Now, this is thousands of years ago. And this man, Job, was a follower and a worshiper of the Lord, obeying his commandments and living a righteous life, almost to perfection. And in that day... You think the world is bad now? That day, the debauchery, the, the murderous tendency of people, the raping, the pillaging, the stealing, the destroying, there was a lot physically going on. Not just what we have in our country, which is a lot of noise. And we have to deal with a lot of negative emotions and, and some losses that we're beginning to incur. So a very thing, very interesting thing happened to Job. And this is how this story became about. This is how it even started. It was this conversation between Satan and God. And so this is Job, verse 1, chapter 1 through 22. And it's out of the Message Bible, which I really like how illuminating it is. So it says, there's a man who lived in us. He was honest inside and out a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was very wealthy, 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, a huge staff of servants, and he was the most influential man in all the East. So his sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in the merrymaking and when the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children, thinking, you know, God, probably in one of those parties, uh, they've sinned, and they probably have defied you inwardly and outwardly. So Job made it a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they'd sinned. So what happens here? Well, Verse 6, it says, One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, What have you been up to? 
And Satan answered God, Ah, going here and there, checking things out on the earth. And God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? Now, this in and of itself is huge. God calls him a friend. And we've talked about being a friend to God before. And that we probably are not always very good friends. But he considers us friends. And so that in and of itself shows devotion, compassion, and and him having a soft spot in his heart for us. So he says, have you noticed my friend Job? And there's no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to me and hating evil. And Satan retorted. So do you think Job does all of that out of sheer goodness of heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. What would happen, God, if you reached down and took away everything that was his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what. And God replied, well, we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his. Just don't hurt him. And Satan left the presence of God. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about... God's friend, Job. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. And we, were, we are talking about Job, God's friend, the, the man that he called his friend, and the suffering that he endured. And so we see this first test. This is after God and Satan had their little quote-unquote friendly discourse about Job. And God said, hey, I know he won't. He will not curse me. He will not do anything unrighteous. Do whatever you need to do to him. Now, thankfully, God has not said to Satan that it's okay to do that to me because I, I honestly can tell you I would not fare as well as Job. So this says, one day when the angels came to report, right, He says he's going around the earth, checking things out, and he sees God's friend Job. And so as we see this going on, what happens is his his kids are having a party. And so they send a messenger to Job and say, hey, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing in the field next to us when the Sabians attacked. They stole the animals. They killed the field hands. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. And as, as this, this servant was talking, another one came in. Another messenger arrived and said, bolts of lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds and fried them all. 7,000 sheep burned to a crisp. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. While he was still yet talking, another messenger arrived and said, the Chaldeans coming from three directions raided the camels, massacred the camel drivers, and I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother when a tornado swept in off the desert, struck the house. It collapsed on all the young people and they all died. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. So Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, and fell down to the ground and worshipped. See, I thought it would say fell down to the ground and screamed and cried. No, he fell down to the ground and worshipped. He says, 
Naked I come from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. Oh, God gives, God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. Now, that's a huge thing. That statement right there, he did not blame God. You see, our tendency is to think God's doing this on purpose. That God's causing all these things to happen. He's somehow punishing us or he's punishing America. You know, there may be some, some things that our country is needing to learn consequentially. But this is not what God does. He doesn't purposefully harm his people. So he says not once through all this did Job sin. And he didn't blame God for the circumstances. He says, now listen to this. Here comes the second test. This is the second chapter of Job, and this is the test of his health. So Satan goes back to God, and God says, what are you doing? He says, I'm roaming around the earth and checking things out. And God says to him again, hey, what about my my guy Job? What do you think of him? And he says, this is interesting. This verse says, there's no one quite like him, is there? Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. See, he knew what he knew what happened. He knew what Satan did. And he said, he's still true to his word and devoted to me and hates evil. And he has a firm grip on his integrity. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work. Now, this is a wow moment. See, Satan is not only the accuser, but also the deceiver. He's so arrogant He even tried to deceive God. So Satan answered again, a human would do anything to save his life. But what do you think would happen if you took his health away? He'd curse you to your face. That's what. And God said, all right, go ahead. You can do what you like with him. But mind you, don't kill him. Now, this is interesting when you see that Satan is still needing to answer to God. And many times we think that that's not the case anymore. That somehow God might not be in complete control of the universe as we know it. And this is saying very specifically, all right, God said, okay, go ahead. But here's the deal. Don't kill him. So Satan left God, struck Job with terrible, terrible sores. Job had ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched and oozed so badly he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself. Then he went out and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. Now, I don't know how, how, how you feel sometimes when things get so bad. But I sometimes want to go sit on a trash heap and say, poor me. I can't believe this is all happening to me. So this is for us women, because we have to learn something from Job's wife. And I have great compassion on her, because I'm not going to judge her. I don't know how I would respond if God allowed these things to happen to my husband and was destroying my life as I know it. So his wife says, oh, so you're still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? You're still trying to be the good guy, are you? Well, I think you should curse God and be done with it. So we don't want to follow in the footsteps of Job's wife, but we want to be thankful that she's just like us. She's just doing what humans do. And so we don't want to condemn her. We want to thank God that we're not put in that position and seeing our husband, our partner, our sons, our friends, tested to that degree. So we want to encourage our husbands 
to trust in God, to trust in his providence. We want to help them when they are feeling really beat up. And husbands, we want to do that with your wives, with your girlfriends. You want to be saying to them, hey, I know it's bad right now, but I really do have faith in God. So this is what happened. Rather than let us really continue in this, in this manner, this is what, what God, God did. And this is what Job said to her. Because God is, Job is still hanging on to God. And this is really important. This is what he said to his wife. He said, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Who do we think we are? that we're telling God how he should run his world. That's basically what Job is saying. He's saying, you're not thinking to his wife. That's what he's saying. You're empty. You're you're like an empty-headed fool. You're not thinking. We take the good days and the bad days, and not once through all of this again did Job sin. He said nothing against God. That's amazing. I want, I want to, we're going to end this segment with that thought. Yet again, Job said nothing against God. It didn't mean he didn't, I don't know, maybe he was swearing, maybe he was like, you know, throwing things, yelling, screaming, crying. I don't know what he was doing. But the one thing he did not do, which is the takeaway for me, he didn't blame God. He didn't get mad at God. He trusted who God is. He trusted who he knew his Savior, his Lord, was. And he did not curse God and lose his faith or walk away from his faith. And he even stood up to his wife, who we all know, I, can, I have a lot of sympathy for her. I don't know what I would do, how helpless I would feel if God was taking out my family my entire, everything that I knew that was mine, that I was caring for. I might have even been worse. So join me again as we talk more about Job and how he handles how difficult his world is when it's upside down. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And make sure, if you're just tuning in, that you can go to your favorite podcast server or my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and listen to the show in its entirety. And thank you so much for just your comments about the shows. I really appreciate it. And just, you know, really giving some great, great comments and just presence on social media. So thank you for that. So we are talking about Job, and his name means suffering. So imagine, isn't that interesting, if you were seven years old and you found out that your name was suffering, and every time someone said Job, they were talking about suffering. So this is Job, and he never one time cursed God, which is remarkable. So here we have this. Yet again, Job said nothing to God. He did not sin. Wow, that's amazing. Now, three of Job's friends heard about his trouble. So this is how the story continues on. 
So they each traveled from their own country and went together to keep him company and comfort him. And when they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe it. They hardly recognized him. They cried out. They ripped their robes. They dumped dirt on their heads. See, this is one of the ways that in those times they would express extreme grief. So they sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights without saying a word. They just were with him. They could see how Rodney felt and how deeply he was suffering. Unfortunately, that didn't last very long. So as we read chapter after chapter of his friends, one at a time telling him that he must have done something wrong, that this was only happening to him because he deserved it. He must be proud or arrogant. He must have some secret sin that nobody knows about. And all the while, Job is asking God for answers. He's not asking his friends. He's asking God. He goes straight to the top, to God himself, and asks, What have I done wrong? I'll repent. Tell me how I've sinned. What did I do to deserve this? So he didn't walk around with a horrible, bad attitude. He went to his friend God and spoke to him and said, Hey, I'm not getting this. I'm missing something here. I mean, have you ever felt like that where you're saying, God, I want to believe you're doing something good, but this is killing me. So feeling just like Job, you know, I want to ask you, would you be considered an individual devoted to God? So if you were feeling all these things, if you were going through these types of things, would you be considered an individual devoted to God? You know, and I've known you, we, we've known each other a long time here. I can tell you the truth. I, I really am still stunned and amazed when I read this story and how humbling it is because I, I've absolutely had lots of hardship in my life, very difficult times. But I have not been tested by God like this to prove to Satan who he is. God has not, that, and that is amazing. So when we think about this, we want to gain lots of confidence We want to gain hope, and we want to know that we have a fellow sufferer, and his name was Job. So maybe you've lost family members to a terrible disease, to murder, to suicide, and you prayed and asked God to heal them. And maybe you lost your job, lost your livelihood. Maybe you were fired unfairly, or maybe you were stolen from. You were tricked into investing money. You had a terrible disease that you're fighting. Maybe there's bankruptcy. So maybe, if that's the case, you might be able to relate to the second test, and that was of Job's health. He became covered in boils to the point of scraping them off with pot shards. And this is when we, we remember his wife saying, you should curse God and die. So guess what happens? Job cries out to God in chapter 3, 1 and 2, and he says... Job spoke up and cursed his fate. He didn't curse God. What he says is, what's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the roads to meaning? And in, in, in verse 26, he says, My repose is shattered, my peace destroyed, no rest for me ever. Death has invaded my life. And this is huge. He says to God, remember, my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. So maybe you felt like Job. 
Maybe you've said, what's the point of all this? What is the purpose of all this suffering? Man, I wish I had never been born. And this is a common, uh, even though each one of them is very unique to everyone's life, this is the thing about Satan. He never knows how to do anything unique or original. He just continues to repeat himself and changing some of the characters of the story and some of the circumstances. So join me in the last segment as we talk more about Job and what God really has in store for him, his people, his world, and that includes us. Hello, I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about Job, and his name actually means suffering. And so we've been talking about how Job has responded to these terrible things that have occurred and have happened to him, and what Satan has done. And this is, you know, this whole story really is Satan and God in a fight. This is Satan, again, trying to be as powerful as God, trying to think that he can catch God, that he can undo God. So we left off with Job saying in chapter 7, verse 7, he says to God, Remember, O God, my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. And so we think about, maybe you felt like this. I know I have. I've said, you know, what's the point? Why am I trying? Why am I working so hard? Who cares? Nothing seems to matter. What's the, and he goes on to say, what's the purpose of all this suffering? I wish I had never been born. Now, I have felt that way before. I'm sure you have as well. So let's look at this a little further. Even if Job were sinning. Now, it says here that he was not. But let's make it a little bit more applicable to us, Okay. So what if he were sinning? I mean, at some level, he, he had to be in, at, in some way because he's, he's very human. So this is the secret of this. God was not considering his humanity and how he was dealing with it all as sin. See, he was still living a righteous life. He was still doing the right things even if he messed up and repented. That's the key. He regularly offered sacrifices to the Lord for himself and his family. See, besides, does anyone deserve all of what he has gotten? Would you ever punish your children in this way? Of course not. So what's going on? Why do bad things happen to good people? And here's the answer. Because there is an accuser. Satan is real. Satan hates. And every time another year passes, he hates even more. Because he is the accuser and he is out to destroy you and me, not because we're so powerful, but because we are so loved by God. So you think about that. You know, if you've ever watched, you know, movies that are, you know, like, I don't know, have Dwayne Johnson in them and Arnold Schwarzenegger and whatever, these kinds of movies where they're always overcoming and, you know, how about the Punisher, you know? It's like these kinds of movies show us that men can typically, and and women, 
we can take it if you're attacking us, but if you attack someone we love, if you attack our children, if you attack our friends, even our pets, even if you ruin our possessions, but if you attack who we love, right? See, this is huge. So Satan is the accuser. So don't listen to his lies about you. God knows you're a sinner. He knows your heart. He's not angry with you because you're struggling with sin. God hears the accuser every day talking crap about us. And he doesn't listen. He says, I know my people. And I love them. I know my children. And so this is how Satan is trying to get back at God. It feels personal to us. But we're not, we're not powerful enough to, to really affect eternity. But the power lies in how much God loves you. That's what affects God. So God's ways are not our ways. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it says, this is God. God says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as high as the skies soar above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. And that has been very helpful for me when I've really been trusting, working on trusting God, and I think to myself, okay, he doesn't think the way I think, and he doesn't work the way I work. I have good history with God. That doesn't mean I have no pain. It means that God somehow has always come out in front and always has been for me, even when I have really messed up, even when I don't deserve it. I'm God's child. He loves me. And there's great comfort in that, not license to sin more, but great comfort and great security. You see, God is both being an advocate and a justifier for Job. This was an interesting insight that I gained from this. See, he's proving who Job is. He's showing the real Job in a way that cannot be disputed. I mean, there's this famous saying, and I don't know who wrote it, but it says, God may, may not pay at the end of every day, but in the end, he always pays. And what we will see at the end of Job's life is this reward that is far surpassing everything he could have possibly lost. The difficulty is Job couldn't see the end. He could not see what God could see, and he didn't know how it would end up. So what does that mean? It means he had to trust God. He had to trust who God is and what he says. So when our lives are crazy... And everything seems to be being taken away. Everything seems to be upside down, inside out, and backwards. When we're being accused of things we haven't even done. And nobody seems to want to know the truth. We have to be like Job. We have to trust God. And we trust who he is. There is no in-between. I say to clients every day, probably, you either trust God or you don't. There is no in-between. When God gave me that saying, that little thought, it helped me to ground myself repeatedly in faith. When I say, you know, I either trust God or I don't. I either trust who I know he is, who he's told me he is, or I don't. There is no in-between. 
Because if I try to do the in-between, it means that every day I'm waking up hoping God proves himself by doing something good for me so I have a good feeling. That's not how it works. He's wanting relationship with us. So when you use the name Job, you're essentially saying suffering. See, names are very important. And I many times will say to people, you know, do you know what your name means? And the name Cynthia means, it's moon goddess, it means bringer of light, or one who reflects the light of the sun. I want to live up to my name. But Job's name was synonymous to suffering. So have you ever felt like your name should be suffering? Like, I, w- I want to introduce myself to people. Hello, yes, nice to meet you. My name is Suffering. <laughs> I don't know if you felt that way before, but I have. You know, or hello, my name is Loser. Hello, my name is, you know, Despot. Whatever it may be that I'm feeling about myself in that day. But I need to say, hello, my name is Cynthia. Because God placed that name on me. He's, he's established that name. And he says, you live up to your name. You need to reflect the light of the sun, and that being Jesus. So think about this, because Job asked why. He put a question to God. He asked, why me? He did not take his suffering quietly or piously, but took a stance. He positioned himself before God, and he then protested his suffering. So this is a very powerful teaching story for us. Because it helps us to know that we're allowed to say to God, what the heck? What are you doing? I'm not getting this. I trust you. I love you. I believe in you. And I need a little help down here. I need to understand what's going on. And if I can't understand it, if it's beyond my comprehension, if your ways are are not obviously my ways and your thoughts aren't my thoughts, and I'm probably not going to understand them, then God, I need some peace that passes all understanding. And so it's not only because Job suffered that it's important, this story is important to us. It's because he suffered in similar ways that we suffer, in the most important areas of his life. He suffered in the arena of family, personal health, his material possessions, right? So he lost most of his family. Then his wife turned against him. His friends turned against him. Then his health went bad, and then he lost everything he had worked for. So this story is also important because he did question God. There's a difference between accusing God of something and saying, well, God is letting this happen. God is doing this to me. You know, I don't understand it, but it's God. God must be doing this. Well, see, Job knew it was God. It wasn't something he made up in his mind to explain a, a predicament that he was in that he didn't understand. So we have to understand that this is an important part of our relationship with God. We have to know, hey, if God is doing this, then I either trust him or I don't. So this is the beauty of this story, that it's important. See, he questioned God, and still God throughout the story calls him a friend. You see, it's not suffering so much that troubles us as as it is the suffering that may be undeserved. That's what makes it difficult for us to comprehend. We understand when growing up, if you do something bad, you get punished. That makes sense. But as we get older, 
we begin to see that there seems to be no connection to the amount of wrong we may incur and, and the pain we, we may have to endure and why they don't seem to match. Many times it's the opposite. People do bad things. Nothing happens. They seem to continue to prosper. We do good things. We get more hardship. <laughs> I understand what that feels like. We do the best we can, and maybe it still doesn't work out. So this suffering confuses us, and it may anger us. And this is what bothered and outraged Job. See, we see Job doing everything right, and it all went wrong, seemingly overnight. So Job gives voice to his suffering so well, so accurately and honestly, that anyone who has ever suffered, which includes every last one of us, can recognize his or her personal pain in the voice of Job. Job so boldly He said boldly what some of us are too timid to say. He refused to accept the role as a defeated victim. And it's also important to note what Job does not do. He does not curse God, as his wife suggested, by getting rid of a problem, by getting rid of God. But neither does Job explain suffering. See, he does not instruct us in how to live to avoid suffering. Suffering is a mystery. And Job comes to respect the mystery. So when we find, what we do find is through respecting suffering and questioning suffering, we're brought into the mystery of God. The greatest mystery is that pain can bring us closer to God and cause us to know him at a much deeper level. This brings an appropriate experience of awe, which is what we see in the story of Job. His suffering led to beautiful worship, peace, and restoration in a way he could have never imagined. And we are now awestruck by what God did for him. We need to be awestruck by the one who died for us, redeemed us, and who will ultimately deliver us from evil and from ourselves. So this is not only a book of suffering, but it's about the power of relationship. We see Job's relationship with God increasing while his wife's relationship with God decreased. We see that God called him a friend, and he was angry with Job's friends. And this is important, that Satan accused Job of being a man that not only followed after God because his life was good, but then Job's friends took up that accusation as well. So think about this. God's ways are not our ways. And we either trust him or we don't. Thank you for joining me today. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server.
please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be- 